Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So, Marco, you launched a, a big update, though perhaps not a major version update, um, to Overcast this week, I think, is, which is both exciting in that it's, I think it's a really cool and clever feature. Um, and then I think there's some really interesting technical things that probably were, be worth talking about on the show about. But So what version of Overcast did you uh, just, just launch? I had to think about it for a minute. It's version 2019.4. <laughs> yeah, this this is so this was the first version I'm doing. The, the version before this was like 5.2.1 or something like that. Um I can't remember that one either. Uh but so I switched to this version numbering scheme. I, I kind of copied this from uh, our friend Curtis Herbert at Slopes and from our friends at Castro. Um and Curtis said he got it from somewhere else I forget. I think Unity uh where basically Version numbering in iOS apps has always been problematic, uh, and yeah, because it's always we try to market to certain versions, we try to advertise like to our users, like here, this is version so and so, and this is the changes in this version. We write the little change log in the App Store dialog, and then the big companies go and they don't really write change logs that mean anything. We're always improving our apps with bug fixes and improvements or whatever, and you know, the, and they don't really use meaningful version numbers and. Even like a lot of apps these days, like, you know, what version of Chrome do you have? And it's some giant long number. What version of, you know, anything do you have? And most people can't tell you the versions of most of their software anymore because there is just kind of too much of it. And the answer is almost always software auto updates itself most of the time. And so the version you have is just whatever the latest version is. Uh, it, you know, it's, it, there's, it's rare for people to have a lot of exceptions to that these days. And on iOS, it's even more so because on iOS, I believe auto-update has been the default setting for App Store for the App Store for a number of years now. And to in order to even know what version of most apps you're using, you have to like go into the App Store and look at the updates tab and browse through your history. And almost nobody does that. And so, really, all that matters with version numbering for most needs is is it the newest version or not, and I decided to switch to a date-based scheme that is literally just like, it is 2019, that's, that's the first number. The second number is four, not because it's April, but because it is the fourth update in 2019. And then the next one will be 2019.5. And then that will be 2019.6, regardless of whether those happen in May or June or whatever. Uh, and because I don't want, like, as as developers, like, and we've, I believe we've even had episodes about version numbering and marketing before. Um, yeah. But you know, as developers, we take on a lot of semantic meaning to these versions because, like, you know, the whole semantic versioning standard system where, like, you know, you have major, minor revision, and we, I think, take on a lot of psychological and technical and marketing baggage by using those little version systems. So, for instance. Um, like our like our friends uh, Daniel Jockett and Matt and Reese over at Core Intuition have talked before about like like I believe Daniel hit like a a, a point ten version in like a, a, an increment and that like drove him to finally make like the increment the next one which means he has to add a new feature which means has to be like noteworthy and and there's all this like psychology and thinking that goes into am I am I making something for say my five point that has to be a really good big version because I incremented the first number, and so that it's a huge release, and and you ha- you start like saving up features that you have done that can ship now. But you're like, oh, I gotta save this one up for the next point zero release because that's a that's a big marketing feature, and you you like 
hold features back and when you have the release ready you, you question do i have enough here and and then you you tie that into your business decisions like oh do i should I, should i somehow find a way to charge again what how much should people pay and i feel like we've been moving towards this world now of the version doesn't matter anymore updates barely even matter anymore it's just like is it up to date or not and the business model side of things has been moving towards free with an app purchase or free with subscription or ad based and so even the business side of it is kind of falling away from this old versioning system and so i didn't i no longer wanted the emotional baggage or the marketing pressure of having major dot minor dot revision because that's not how i work really i don't work in like holding features back for six months as i plan this giant release like i don't do that i will have occasional bursts of productivity where i will be able to you know create a whole new feature from scratch in a matter of a few weeks or a couple of months like i did with this and i just want to release it like once it's done it's done i want to get it out there and i don't want to have all of this like baggage tied to the number of the version which is mostly at this point self-imposed because most people don't even see it anymore. So a simple time-based system, it changes the way you have to think about marketing, but I would argue that it actually changes that in a way that reflects reality better than the old way. Um, but it ultimately, it frees you. It frees your mind up from having to, having to think about like the, the semantic meaning or, or the, the weight of certain numbers. And I find that's a much better fit for the modern world and for the way I think. Yeah. It, I mean, in many ways, it reminds me, obviously, of like, uh, I guess you'd call it continuous delivery or whatever. I think it's a fancy term, but it's like, on a, if, you're, if you make any kind of web service, right, like that doesn't have a version um, in a marketed way, like in, the, in a way that your customer is uh, aware of. You may have internal versioning or things that you are doing um, to keep track of things or honestly for a lot of times uh, in, for me I just have like you know it's a uh, you know a, a commit in my version control is the like that is the point that is currently deployed rather than necessarily like it having a semantic number you know and that number just and it's just like when when something's ready I you know roll it out to the server and then that's the new version that you get um, and I think you know, the history of this comes from a place where the version was important because the process of moving from one version to another was complicated and costly, um, both, you know, in terms of developer and customer cost. Like, it was a complicated thing to do and you had to make sure you had the right version and upgrading from one version to the next or maybe complicated because if you're coming from, you know, not necessarily the latest, you know, the one before the last one, you may be coming from a version that's two back. And do you have to make sure that all of your updates are, you know, is it safe to go from that? Or do you have to do a series of updates in a row before you can do the last update? Like there's a lot of complexity around the actual mechanics of updating. And so I think the, you know, the semantic versioning system sort of comes out of that world where it's trying to give you a sense of what is you know the importance of the update if it's just a you know the if it's just the third number that's changed and eh, maybe that's important maybe it's not like if you're not having any bugs then maybe don't worry about it if you, you know if, if it, the process of updating is is complicated but you know the first number changed like okay i need to like you know work this out but it's it is remarkable now how while the app store isn't strictly continuous delivery that i can't you know push out a version and say i every person with the app must run this version immediately 
the speed at which the updates occur now is shocking. Like I was just looking at my analytics and I think I'm at probably like 90% within two days, two or three days, um, our people are running the latest version of the app, which That's is incredible. Like it is just amazing and wonderful like it is this very very steep curve you know because if if auto update is on by default it's just happening in the background when people plug their phones in overnight i think is when it usually runs that kind of stuff and so it's going off it's running it and as from that user's perspective it's like it also used to like it used to be a marketing exercise of like putting text in your release notes because users would go and see it um and that would is, is less of a thing like people don't read the release notes nearly as much i don't think i mean if i'm remembering right at apple services event they even showed like screenshots of an app store that doesn't have an updates tab anymore um like the updates tab may be being replaced by the uh, apple arcade um in the future like who knows if that's actually the way it's going to play out or if updates will be in somewhere else but like i'm sure there'll be somewhere that you can go and manage your updates but like if it's not a tab anymore like that's going to become even more um of this kind of this vague concept that doesn't actually matter to your customer. And so like, it's in a weird way, like it's probably moving to a world where, I mean, functionally what you're doing is your versioning is just your, you know, like your actual build number, which is always one of those funny things. Like we have, there's two numbers that are associated (laughs) with every version. We have like the build and we have the, the marketing um, version. The marketing version is the way that Apple requires us to submit things. And it's always a bit funny too, that they both, you know, they, they have to always increase, um, in, in, and which is in many ways, I'm sure why you are now using some like the year because then it'll you know sort of always increase. Whereas it gets a little funny otherwise if you just like started to, you know started with well this is going to be um, if your last one was version five like this is version six and then seven and eight and nine and then like that could be a little bit true you know like the numbers start to get a little um, out of control at a certain point. But um, it is interesting that they kind of. You know, if internally I think about those kind of builds and like those are the builds that uh, and the build numbers are like the more interesting number. And we have all these weird things. You're running a beta test where the, you know, the semantic version doesn't change, but the build number changes. And like that's the build is the actual the build number is actually the thing that you know uniquely identifies a published piece of software. The version number um, doesn't actually even do that because you can have issues where a beta tester is running the latest version number but the wrong build or they went from you know a an old build or that was being beta tested and like it can get very complicated so like ultimately the actual one that's important is the build number and the marketing version is just that it's just a marketing number and like if it's useful for marketing purposes great but if it isn't then um it just doesn't actually even really matter let me get to marketing in a minute, but first, we are sponsored this week by Linode. With Linode, you can instantly deploy and manage an SSD server in the Linode cloud. You can get a server running in seconds with your choice of Linux distro, resources, node location, and so much more. And it doesn't matter if you're working on your very first server or deploying a big complex system like what I do with Overcast. Linode is the place to go, big or small. They have the fastest hardware and network outstanding customer support if you ever need any help. And I've I've used their customer support on a number of occasions, and they have been wonderful. It is just super easy to launch and run Linode cloud servers. And they now have block storage available in Newark, Fremont, Dallas, Atlanta, Frankfurt, London, and Singapore, soon to be released in Tokyo. And they have their new RESTful API version 4 is now done. It includes a sufficiently supported Python, CLI, and so much more. 
Linode's also hiring. So listeners of this show, this might be the kind of field you're in. If you want to learn more and check out what they're looking for, go to linode.com slash careers to see more. Otherwise, for their hosting business, I, I got to say I love Linode. I use them. I've used them for something like eight years now, and they're just wonderful since long before they were a sponsor. Uh, that's why I wanted to have them as a sponsor so I could talk about it because they're just great. They're a great host, and they have great pricing so the options they, they scale from every need their plans start at one gig of ram for just five dollars a month and they have lots of plans above that with higher resources including high memory plans starting with 16 gigs of ram dedicated cpu plans and so much more and they have a special offer for our listeners you can go to linode.com slash radar and use promo code radar 2019 to get 20 dollars towards any linode plan so on that one gig plan that could be four months for free and with a seven-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. So give Linode a try today. That's linode.com slash radar and promo code radar2019 to learn more, sign up, and make the most of that $20 credit. Our thanks to Linode for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So switching to this kind of versioning system introduces some interesting marketing challenges. You know, like if you're going to have a big like version 5.0, you can go to blogs like Mac Stories and iMore and, and you can like pitch them stories. You can be like, hey, look, I'm working on this big update. Here is, you know, all of the, you know, all the, the tentpole features of my new upcoming 5.0. And it, it kind of makes it easier to coordinate marketing around a big release like that. But with, with, when you do like a, a, you know, just boring version system, like, like a kind of an automatic version system like what I have, where the versions don't have any semantic meaning anymore, you lose that ability to do that marketing wise. But what you instead get is the ability to just market features. And I think it's actually better because people have a certain like tolerance for how long they think is a meaningful amount of time between like a 5.0 and a 6.0. And ha- what kind of feature is like, ha- like how many features are minimally necessary to justify a new big version number. But if you have a compelling feature, you can launch that and market that anytime you want and as frequently as it warrants. So not every feature you launch is going to be worthy of marketing and, and you, you know, you still have to respect people's time and respect like, you know, you can't like, you know, cry wolf and just say everything is important. But if you're doing something really cool that you think is worth marketing and that people will like that you think might be newsworthy, then you can do the same kind of marketing you would do for a major version, but just do it for a feature instead. Like, and that's, that's kind of what happened with, with my clip sharing feature getting back to that is like, I had this idea for a feature like three weeks ago and I built it, and it was done, and I'm like, you know, I should just ship this. Like, what What am I waiting for? Like, this doesn't need to wait for a major version. Like, this is the perfect time of year. You know, we, I don't have anything to do with summer betas yet, and this isn't really, like, a, a huge feature that I should hold off on before before then. So let me just ship it. And so that was it. I just shipped it, and I made a blog post explaining it and showing it, and it was a marketable feature, and you know, that was kind of determined by other people, really. But, like, I did my side of the marketing, which is, like, I publicized it. I made it known on my blog. I documented it and showed it off. And then a bunch of people picked it up and wrote about it. And it was great. And it, I got the same kind of marketing that I, from that than I would have gotten from, like, a major, a huge, like, you know, major 5.0 or 6.0 kind of update. So I actually don't think it requires that much change in marketing strategy either. You just have smaller and more numerous opportunities to do it. Yeah, and I think, too, what I kind of... And as I'm thinking this through, what I like about it, though, is too, is that the marketing becomes um, tangible, that you are marketing around something tangible to the user 
or something useful to your user, useful to your customer, rather than marketing around something that is kind of like abstract and made up. That like a, a customer does not care that your version just had 6.0. Like that means nothing. Like what it's like the you know if if you if you imagine the you know like an article that was being written about you it's like the part where it says like even or you imagine this with like the iPhone or whatever like Apple releases new iPhone what's important is this is the like the fragment that comes after that like with you know new cam with new camera <laughs> right. faster processor like the fact that it's a new iPhone like the fact that it's like the next version like the next number like that that part is actually completely irrelevant and I think making marketing that is focused on features and tangible things like that is almost certainly more effective because any marketing that you do get or any message that you're trying to communicate that is simply like overcast it's like overcast now has clip sharing like that is a very concise straightforward message that doesn't require that isn't you know, is easy to is easy to understand, and that headline is either interesting to you or it's not interesting to you. Um, versus, if the headline is Overcast releases, you know, version seven, version six, like okay, great, <laughs> right? Um, that's like that, I'm sure that's good for Overcast, but uh, what's interesting is not the you know, and and if anything, like big updates. This is something that I've struggled with a little bit too. Is the if you're trying to have lots of features in a particular update, you almost have the opposite marketing problem where you have too many things that you're trying to get credit for or communicate. Like you can have a situation where the problem is, you know, I did these five cool things and it's hard to communicate five things at once to someone like that is just harder than communicating one thing at a time. And you have the fatigue part that you have to worry about. But there's also like, sometimes there could be like you could be people can be missing the thing that you think is actually really cool, um, like because they're focusing on some of the other ten pole features, and like that's a tricky balance too that you have to like worry about. That if you have too much in something, then it's just like well everything changed, and it's there's there's too much. Like you really at most it's like one or two things is probably what makes sense to market around. It's like you have a nice clear concise story, and I mean and the reality is like this kind of this kind of marketing is like in, in the, it, it matters mostly i think honestly in terms of how it'll be picked up by the app store itself like app store edit, on the editorial side um, and honestly i think for them having a very simple cohesive like straightforward message is going to be much more f- effective for them to pick up on than like if your release notes are this 40 40 bulleted list then they're trying to work out like, well, what's the important thing? What's the thing that is actually significant here? Whereas like it has this cool new feature. Great. Like I can understand that and I can see what their, you know, the user is going for um, when they're commuting or you know, wh- why someone would be excited about that. And that's just like, you're making it easier on them. So like, I think in that sense, um, it's helpful to just have a, such a, so much, such a simplified message as well. Oh yeah. And, and like, and this also, I think helps you gain the perspective of, what features are worth marketing heavily and which ones aren't so like like which you kind of alluded to a minute ago like if i suppose i rewrite the whole app in swift right that's that's like a a technical update that my customers won't even hopefully won't even notice right and so like that's something that you'd be tempted to be like you know oh now version 6.0 is now 100 percent swift but the reality is no one except you cares about that, <laughs> and there's a lot of things like there's a lot of updates that that I that I love doing to like you know technical backend stuff that are like that. I mean, heck, one thing I've been working on for a long time, Voice Boost Two. 
I have a feeling like voice boost too. When I do finally ship it, I don't think it's going to get the amount of marketing attention that clip sharing did. Sure. And I've been working on that for like six months and clip sharing took me like three weeks. But the fact is it's, it's just, you know, it voice, voice boost two is something I want to do for lots of other reasons, but it's not a very marketable feature. Whereas using old versioning systems, like I, I would almost kind of feel like I, I would put more weight on that because like, Oh, this is a huge, like there's a lot of, you know, percentage of code changed, <laughs> you know, that makes this work or it's like low level hard stuff. And so that's really impressive to me because I did it, but it's not something anybody else cares about as much. Like, and now I, I feel like this helps me focus more on features that, that people care about because I don't have to, bulk up releases like official releases with things that sound impressive or make sure the list is long enough or the checkbox list is long enough you know i can just make features that people like when i can like whenever i can don't hold them back at all and honestly i think it even makes updates more likely to be more frequent because they mean less like, you know, especially like, you know, right now it's, you know, something dot four. So if, anybody, if anybody's paying attention, it might seem like a low number. But in a good year, that might end up being like 0. 0.17, 0. 0.25. Like at that point, who cares? Right. It doesn't. What's the difference between 0. 0.17 and 0. 0.18? Who cares? Doesn't matter. You know, you, I could issue an update every week and just have it go up to 0. 0.52. And who cares? Like, so it's it's a way to just keep things a lot more relevant to the customer with what you're even advertising at all, what you're marketing at all. And to, I think, practice healthier release practices like a healthier update cycle for most indies of like you know i just got to get this thing out there and just build value over time organically as it comes instead of having to focus on these giant versions or have any kind of like emotional baggage to hold me back from shipping things that i should ship yeah i think too there's an element that just came to mind of how it also probably keeps you and your customers closer in sync which is something that I've noticed in my own experience recently that sometimes can be problematic where like I go off and work on like I've been working on a major update to pedometer plus plus and I've been working on it for you know a couple months and then I took a, two months off to work on calzones and like the version that I think of as the app is now totally different is you know or tangibly different than the version that the, my customers are using right now like they're using a version that I haven't used for like four months yeah. And that is problematic in a lot of ways that it's like there are it means that you know I'm taking certain things for granted or I'm not feeling a sense of even you know, like a sense of urgency to get this out there because I'm just used to it now. Like I, I don't think of it as this like this cool new feature. Like it's just like well this is how the app has been now for for months but it's not that, that the version in the in the app store is totally different. And so if uh, you know moving away from a you know semantic numbering system can increase that frequency that's also probably just a good thing in terms of having that be a, a closer connection that you know so you you work on an update you get it out and you are become you know resync yourself with your customers on a much more regular basis yeah and it's also better for app quality you know, like you know, it's better to you know it, it it in some ways it also kind of removes a lot of the need for beta testing like for this update i didn't beta test it at all which you know, kind of angers and beta tests. We're sorry about that, guys. <laughs> but uh, I, it did, I didn't beta test it at all because I wanted to just get it out there really fast. And when you're on a fast release cycle, test flight approval delays really actually are a pretty significant part of that cycle. And so I, I didn't want to have to wait for a delay. I also just coincidentally I had jury duty this whole week, 
And so I knew that like that my weekdays would be filled and or at least they might be filled for some unknown amount of time in the future. Thanks, jury duty. Um, and so I like I didn't have the week to do it. And App Store approval was like, you know, I know how long that takes. And I, I was ready. I was the feature was done and I submitted it on, I think, Friday or Thursday night. And so I'm like, I can put this into a beta, but that's going to push the release back by at least a week at least and it's like and and i i wanted the marketing splash of everybody so i'm like whoa like i didn't tell almost anyone about this feature before it released i think three people knew about it like i, I told the minimum number of people i could possibly tell because i wanted it as part of its marketing to have a, a bit of a splash and because clip sharing is this inherently semi-viral thing because you could you post things for other people to see that are obviously you know generated by overcast if you want them to be and so I wanted to have like that kind of secrecy splash and I couldn't afford the time to have a proper beta test unless I wanted to delay the release by at least another week, probably more. So I, you know, let me just release it. And I did, and it's no big deal. And I, I released it. It made the exact, it made the splash I wanted to, even though it was, it was approved on Saturday morning. And I just said, all right, straightforward. Like I just public, I would already written the blog post, hit publish. So it, it released on a weekend, which you're not supposed to do, but oh well it didn't seem to hurt it at all it was fine and uh and it was great and and i got to go to jury duty yesterday and and not worry about this release that was happening because it was already out for two days uh, and so like it was just like it allowed me to fit this more into my life to get this out really fast and yeah there are a couple of shortcomings that i'm going to fix you know today and tomorrow if i can uh and i'm going to beta test the, the fixes a little bit and probably release it in like you know five or six days and I, I no longer have any kind of pressure in my mind of like, should I save this up for the next update? Like, it, it's just, I just can release it when it's done. Well, and another, I mean, it's, it's a little bit uh, arbitrary, but another advantage to what you're describing, though, as it relates to beta testing, is that by moving to this, you know already what your next version number is. Yeah. Right? You know your next version is going to be 2019.5. And so the way the test review test uh, test flight review process works is once you have a approved version at what any particular version number, you can typically re, you know submit additional builds against that version number without um, incurring the weird like day and a half review cycle time. Mm-hmm. And so you have the advantage now too of you can take whatever you have now and submit it to test flight review like your first set of up upda- of bug fix updates even if you're not ready to do the beta test and then whenever you are you already have a version with the correct version number that is approved and ready to go in test flight and so it's also just a nice little bonus i suppose that you don't have the version number isn't um it, you know isn't unknown like you didn't know well is this next version going to be 5.4.7 or is it going to be 5.5.1 or 5.5.0 like there's an ambiguity in the other process and so one advantage now is you know exactly what it is you could submit a, a test flight build you know right now you know exactly what the build number is going to be and you can have that ready so whenever you when you are ready to do a beta test you can just have it ready to go which is another perk i suppose as well you can even like this version numbering system matters so little that you can even like skip versions version numbers that have like bad luck connotations for people sure. so it's like if you want to skip like sixes or like you can just or like 13s you can just skip them who cares sure. <laughs> you know it doesn't matter at all yeah i mean in the same way that build numbers um increase mm-hmm. um like the kind of randomly to you know from a user's perspective because there's internal builds that never come out you know to the light of day yeah exactly um, 
But before we wrap up, I do want to actually talk about what this feature is because it's very cool. And I realize we've just spent most of the show talking about how it's versioned rather than what it is. <laughs> um, so, which is, I guess, I guess our way. Um, so you, what you build is just genius where it is you've built a mechanism by which users can clip, I think, up to a minute long um, sections of a podcast that, they've, that they're listening to. And then you bundle it up in a way that it makes it very easy to share. They can either share it as audio or as video in a variety of formats. Um, and it's a really clever way of solving a problem that is so sort of inherent to podcasting is that it, it's, it's, it, you know, it's hard to share the experience you're having with someone else in a way that like, here's this funny thing that happened or this interesting thing or this compelling thing. Um, how do you share that experience? You know, it's not like, oh, I'm, this cool thing is happening around me. Let me take a picture of it or take a screenshot or whatever that might be. Like audio is this kind of ephemeral uh, medium which makes it much much harder to do that and so it's kind of this really clever thing and you have this just you know sort of easy to use editor and, and interface for doing this and so it's a really cool um feature and i think it's really i think um, it, it is understandable that it had such a positive reaction um as it seems like it has since since you rolled it out because it's one of those features that you see and it's the best kind of feature where you look at it and you're like why haven't we had this for the last five years like it seems obvious in retrospect which is the best kind of feature you can ever make where it's like of course this is this is definitely something that you know that podcast should have rather than having a share link that is just a link to the like the you know the the two hour long mp3 which is like great like there's this funny thing that happened at you know 58 minutes into this show like that's, <laughs> right. that's that's terrible no one like that's going to be completely ineffective so i think this is a genius feature and i'm glad that it's uh, it's out in the world Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I guess we don't really have time to talk about any technical details, but there aren't, they honestly aren't that interesting. Uh, it's, it's a feature that generates video on the phone using AV Foundation. <laughs> it's yeah. very simple. You know, it's pretty basic. Um, so that's it. Anyway, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.